Okay, well, let's take our Bibles and get in them, open them up to the book of Isaiah. Today, uh, we are going to be looking at the 42nd chapter. Make sure my Wi-Fi is off and all the things here. In a message that I've entitled, God's Servant, Our Savior. So with that, guys, I've been getting this habit. I kind of like it. I don't know that we'll always do it, but let's rise to our feet and uh, humble our hearts before the Lord as we uh, prepare our hearts to receive of His Word today. Father God, I just thank You so much for Your, your love and Your grace and Your mercy, Lord. It's our heart's desire to want to bring honor and glory to You, to hear from You, to be touched and challenged and changed by You, Lord. We don't want to leave here the same way as we came in. We want to be more like Jesus. So we say, would You speak to our hearts and change our lives? And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. We all say... Amen. Have a seat, would you? Isaiah chapter 42, two servants come into focus for us, both called and commissioned by God, one successful, the other not so much. One fruitful and faithful, the other failed is unfaithful. One exalted into the highest prominence, the highest place, the other punished. Now, the curtain closed on chapter 41 proclaiming the fact that idols are nothing. But it draws back here in chapter 42 with God's servant who is everything. And so with that, let's take and turn our attention to the first verse of the 42nd chapter. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. He will not cry out nor raise his voice nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench, and he will bring forth justice for truth. He will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands shall wait for his law. And so our passage, it opens up with God setting his servant center stage, and inviting the world to, well, our word is, behold him. This one whom he will uphold, in whom his soul delights, upon whom his spirit rests, this one who will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. God says, behold him, look at him, learn of him, scrutinize, analyze him with the purpose, with the desire, with the intent uh, to to not only look at and, and learn of, but to not only to be in awe, but to be like him, you see. Uh, and I just want to go ahead and, and let this proverbial cat out of the bag and tell you, in case you weren't already aware, this servant that God is upholding for us is none other than Jesus Christ himself. And we don't have to wonder about this because the Holy Spirit tells us plainly, you can write it down and read it later, it's in Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through 21. But you and me, we need to know that Scripture exhorts us to study the person, the work, and the nature of Jesus. And as a believer, you should not only want to know your Savior, but you should want to know as much about Him as you possibly can. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you. Notice learn from, or could be translated learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus invites us to come to him with the purpose of learning from and learning of him. In Matthew chapter 16, he said it this way, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Jesus says, look, if you have a desire to come after me, that is, you want to follow behind me in my footsteps. Well, you've got to deny yourself you got to take up your cross, which is kind of an underscoring way of saying the same thing. The cross is the instrument of death to the self-will. And he says, and then follow, the idea there is imitate me. Jesus wants you and me to be like him. Have you ever noticed that you can generally tell when friends are close? I mean, you kind of pick up on that fact because they share a lot of the same mannerisms. They learn from one another. They're always following after one another. Kind of, they become more and more like each other. Well, so too with you and me in Christ, with one obvious exception, right? I mean, uh, Jesus learns nothing from us, has zero desire to be anything like us, for which we say, praise God. Uh, but this learning of, this being like, it's a, it's a one-way street with the Lord. We're to behold Him, follow Him, learn of and imitate Him. And in Isaiah chapter 42, we learn a little bit about the nature of Jesus. Now, before we jump into that, let me give you a little bit of bonus information, a little, little observation here, in that we see the working of the Trinity right here in the very first verse of the 42nd chapter of the book of Isaiah. We have the father speaking about his son, this servant, and he declares that he has put his spirit upon him. And so we have father, son, Holy Spirit all present in the first verse of the 42nd chapter. And of course, with that, I've kind of given you our first observation or mark of identification concerning the nature of Jesus. First and foremost, he would be, again, our word is a servant. Behold, my servant whom I uphold, my elect one in whom my soul delights. And so the first indicative aspect of the nature of Jesus Christ would be that he was here not only to save, but to serve. Jesus said, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus served his heavenly father. Yes, he came to seek and to save you and me. But in so doing, he would serve the father. For God so loved the world, you see, that he gave his only begotten son. Yes, the Lord would save us out of his great love for us. But in so doing, he would be serving the heart of his father in heaven. Jesus was a servant. Now, Let's leave the book of Isaiah quickly. Let's turn in our new, to our New Testament to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Okay? Okay? Okay then. Philippians. All right. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to get there with smiles and delight. Right? Okay. Fine then. I'll smile about it. 
Philippians chapter 2. Give me an amen if you're there. All right, let's take and turn our attention beginning with the third verse. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did, by the way, I, I should say this. You know what? Let's back up because a lot of times people will begin to read this passage. It's just bonus information for you, okay? I'm kind of going off script here. They'll begin to read this passage and they'll think that the mind of Christ is what we let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who did not. And then that's the mind that's talking. That's really what follows verse three isn't the mind of Christ. It's the outcropping of the mind of Christ. It's, what, it's the way the mind of Christ came into fruition in his life practically. The mind of Christ is actually found back in verse four, right? Uh, so, no, pardon me. If there is anything, yeah, let nothing be done. Oh, goodness, back in chapter one, I'm sorry. Gosh, I do this when I go off script, you guys. For you to, so, so let each one, I may say, I'm just going to start reading to you, okay? Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or an absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand with, uh, fast with one spirit, one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, not in any way terrified of your enemy, uh, or terrified of your adversary, which is to them proof of perdition, uh, but to you of salvation. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw. Therefore, okay, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any, uh, if any affection and mercy fulfill my joy, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing, this is the mind, I don't know why I went all the way back there. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each one of you look out not only for his own interest, but for the interest of others. That, that's when he says, because I was going to begin in verse 5, but I began in verse 3, so I did all my backing up for nothing, you guys, forgive me. The mind of Christ, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That's the mind of Christ, okay? Now, verse 5 is where it begins to uh, exegete or exposit or explain. Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Here's the idea, you guys. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus did not come to make himself great, but to give his life away, to place the needs of others above his own. And he said, for I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And so I'm just going to trust that as we've kind of developed this principle, you've picked up on the fact that the essential element of being a servant is that of obedience, okay? Behold my servant, this one who obeys me. Jesus would perfectly be obedient or render obedience to the Father. 
He would be upheld by the Father. He would delight the Father, and God would place His Spirit upon Him. He would empower Him, equip Him for the service to which He had called Him. The point in play here is this. If God calls you, He equips you. I place my Spirit, He says, upon Him. If He enlists you, He will enable you. And if He calls you to it, then you can rest assured He will see you through it. And we should know that if the Holy Spirit dwells in us, if the Spirit of God rests upon us, then our heart should overflow with love for God, and that love will be displayed in our service that is rendering obedience to God and to His Word. And it says here that He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. This ministry of the servant, our Savior, wouldn't be limited to the nation of Israel. It would be global in its reach. And he would fulfill God's heart, the desire of God's heart, to reach the world where the nation of Israel would fail. The Jews had basically concluded uh, that the Gentiles were really only good to stoke the fires of hell. Uh, But the heart of God was never to choose Israel to the exclusion of the world, but to use Israel to reach the world. For God so loved the world. Uh, Being called in righteousness, this free gift of salvation was never meant to be limited to one nation. We're all the offspring of Adam. We've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Therefore, we all qualify for the free gift of salvation by grace through faith. And so Jesus would succeed, and we're so glad that he did, amen, in extending God's great salvation to every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. As we read in 1 John, as we, and we have seen and testify that God the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. And we read that he will not cry out, nor raise his voice, nor cause his voice to be heard in the street. Jesus wasn't worried about drawing attention to himself. He wasn't worried about achieving some sort of celebrity status among the people. In fact, he was so ordinary that Judas had to identify him at his betrayal. Guys, Jesus walked in humility. He didn't assert himself, but rather he maintained a disposition that was lowly. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am lowly in heart, gentle. And again, this is the fruit or the characteristic of one upon whom the Spirit of God was at rest. And just, I think, how greatly... Does the mentality of Jesus seem to conflict with so many Christians today? You know, people looking for the spotlight, wanting the accolades, the oohs, and the ahs of man. Jesus was never after the photo op. He was never chomping for a press release. In fact, most of his ministry was done in relative obscurity. There he was. He was ministering, you know, on a mountainside or at the seashore or in and around the temple or at people's homes. He wasn't here to benefit himself, but to bless and build up and encourage others, to serve others. 
And he was content to know that he was about his father's business. And I just think, God help us. God help us to be content in being about our father's business. Not needing the attention of others. Satisfied in obscurity, in anonymity, so long as our service brings God glory. And a bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. Now we spoke on this not too long ago. This is a reference to the tender care and compassion of our Lord. Uh, those who are weak, oppressed, depressed, and hurting, he doesn't brush them aside. He doesn't shoo them away. Most leaders don't have time for the weak. They focus on the strong, the movers, the shakers, the self-starters, those self-driven, kind of initiative, get-things-done kind of people. And I suppose that in a business context, that can be advantageous, but it's not the agenda of the kingdom of God. When Jesus came across people who were bruised and who were hurting and they were wounded by the harsh realities of life, He didn't finish them off by issuing that final crushing blow because he just didn't have time to deal with their drama. You know what I'm talking about? He stopped everything. He made time to bring healing and hope and restoration and rejuvenation into their lives. He drew near to them. He helped them in their time of need. It's Psalm 34 and verse 18. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit and smoking flax he will not quench you know think of a wick in an oil lamp there it is it's barely smoldering not much life left in it it's just about to give up it's about to give in it's just a little kind of a reflection of an ember there and there are times that our lives are kind of like that that once burning flame that first love we had for the Lord just barely smoldering and we're just not too far from giving up and giving in and Jesus comes along he doesn't say well you know if that's all you got if that's all you have to offer you're really no good to me at all and just quench that last little ember the last little spark that we have left he doesn't do that a father brings his demon-possessed son to Jesus. If you can do anything, please have compassion on us and help us. Jesus didn't say, if. What's that supposed to mean? I mean, you came to me. I didn't come to you. What do you mean, if I can help you? No, he looked at him and he said, listen, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cries out through the tears that are running down his face and he says, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Do you remember what Jesus did? He said, I believe. Help my unbelief. What kind of statement is that? I don't have time for this waffling, wavering, unable to commit kind of hogwash. Listen, you either believe or you don't. Now get out of my face. Go away, you bother me, kid. Is that what Jesus did? No. 
The Bible says he was moved with compassion for his plight, for his problem, his circumstance that had all but brought him to the point of giving up. And he ministered to him and delivered his son and increased his faith. A bruised reed he will not break, and smoking flax he will not quench. Aren't you so glad that our Savior is the kind of shepherd who will leave the 99 to search for the one. The one lost sheep who's somehow strayed from the flock, from the fold. Some people don't understand that. Why would you leave the 91 to go, 99 to go after one? Sorry, God. Well, the person who says, why would you leave the 99 to go after the one? Evidently, he's never been the one. Because if you've been the one, it's reason for rejoicing. Now, in verse 4, he will not fail nor be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands shall wait for his law. Failure and discouragement. Something that I'm prone toward. But those words aren't really even in our Lord's vocabulary, proverbially speaking. I mean, think of the job that he has, the the obstacles that he has to overcome, and the tools, I mean, look around, these are the tools (laughs) that he has to use, that he has to work with, and yet... He will not fail nor be discouraged. Why? Because he has all power and authority. Guys, he's not limited by the weakness and the failures that we bring to the table. Yeah, he won't fail. And the time is coming. He will establish justice in the earth and the coastlands. Remember, we understand that the far reaches of the earth will wait for his word. They'll be excited. The Lord will rule the world in righteousness and the whole earth shall be filled with his glory. And so let's see how we measure up. We're to behold the Lord. We're to learn from, to learn of the Lord. So through the power of God's spirit, we're to be growing, being transformed as it were from glory to greater glory that we might be like the Lord. Well, what kind of man was our Lord? Number one, he was a servant. Question, how do you measure up in that department? That's the first thing to think through. He was a servant. What about you? Here's some things that he wouldn't uh, do. He wouldn't strive. He wouldn't quarrel. He wouldn't pine for attention or use his ability for personal publicity. He wouldn't crush the weak or quench those with just a little bit of life left in them. Uh, He wouldn't kick a person when they were down. He wouldn't be discouraged in the face of insurmountable odds. And he wouldn't brush people away who he felt like were maybe a little bit, uh, how do you say, prone to drama. Here's a few things he does do. He acts with gentleness, tenderness, and compassion. He brings justice to all, will usher in a reign of truth and righteousness over all the earth. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the kind of heart the Lord would have us to emulate toward the people around us. 
that we would serve rather than looking to be served, that we wouldn't strive to seek celebrity status, you know, only serving in the sphere. And there are those who will only serve in the sphere that's really worthy of all their talents and all their training, uh, rather than just be content to be about our heavenly father's business in humility or obscurity, not needing the recognition of man or others. Be kind to those who are broken and hurting. Don't kick a person while they're down or just pass them by rather than stop and lift them up. Now, this is where you're going to want to write down so you can read it later. It's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. This is a good passage to maybe re-familiarize yourself with. Luke 10, verses 25 through 37. Pursue truth and righteousness, rendering obedience to the word of God. Thus says the God, this says God the Lord, pardon me, verse 5, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread forth the earth and that which comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand and will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the prison, uh, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. Behold, the former things that have come to pass, and new things I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them." God says, just as sure as all of the former things that I've told you have come to pass, so too this word concerning my servant, which we've seen in the first four verses, this one who will bring salvation and transformation to the world, it's going to happen as well. And I love how God flashes his credentials back in verse 5. It's as if he anticipates the reader to see the overwhelming nature of the first four verses, the promises therein, and just say, man, how could anyone guarantee these kind of things? And God says, look, I created the heavens and stretched them out. I spread forth the earth and all that comes forth from it. I give breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. The idea is, look, if I can do all that, then fulfilling my promise about my servant, your Savior, is just not a problem. And then he begins to address really Jesus Christ directly. And I I read through this and I think how these verses must have encouraged our Lord when he was on the earth. I mean, you think about all of the difficulties he was constantly confronted by. And no doubt when he would read passages like this, he would be encouraged. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. That is, I am with you to love and guide and never leave you. I will keep you. That is, I will sustain you. I will give you as a covenant to the people. Jesus was the embodiment of the new covenant in his blood as a light that is the only source of truth and salvation to the Gentiles. And God speaks of the purpose of his coming which would ultimately be fulfilled through the cross to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the prison. Family, Jesus came to set the captives free. 
and to open blind eyes. Yes, he did that physically, but its ultimate fulfillment is found spiritually. Jesus came to open our eyes to the reality of who he is in truth and to set us free, yes, from the bondage of sin, which holds us in darkness and leads to death. You know, it's interesting to listen to all this talk about freedom today. People want to do whatever drug they feel so inclined to. They want to be free to engage in any kind of sexually perverted, abhorrent act that they desire. They don't understand. You know, they dabble in those things. They lean into those things in the name of freedom. The truth is, it leads to bondage. What you once felt free to do, you're now in bondage to. And you can't stop the drugs, or you're enslaved to the alcohol, or your appetite for perversion rather than being satiated and satisfied only grows more and more. Sin does not free you, it enslaves you. But whom the sun sets free, yeah? Mm is free indeed. And in Christ, you're free from the bondage of sin. You live in the light of eternal life. And by the way, though the interpretation belongs to Jesus, certainly there's application to all who are in Jesus. In Christ, God has called you in righteousness. By His Spirit, He will uphold you, enable you, empower you, and use you to bring the hope of the gospel into the lives of others. To see blind eyes opened and captives set free. Now, does that mean you'll never experience any difficult days or tough times? Of course it doesn't. It didn't mean that for Jesus. didn't mean that for Moses or Daniel or the apostles. You know, you get the idea. But it does mean that you can count on the faithfulness of God. And that if He has begun a good work in your life, He will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And while we're in this section of Scripture, let's make sure we underline verse 8. Do you see it there? I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. This brings us back to that celebrity status that Christians can take to themselves. Suddenly building a name for themselves through the things that God is doing in your life. Touching the glory, taking the credit for what God has done. Now, is it wrong to use the platform God gives you to reach as many people as possible? No, certainly not. In fact, we should do all that we can to reach as many as we can. But guys, we speak of it from time to time. It's not necessarily about what we do, right? So much as it is why we do it. All honor, all praise, all blessing, all glory belongs to the Lord and to Him alone. And God says, I will not give my glory to another. Now, wait a minute. I have a question. If God does not give His glory to another, okay, we, the riddle me this. How could Jesus pray in John 17 and say this? And now, O oh Father, 
glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Now, if the Lord will not give his glory to another, yet God the Father and God the Son share in glory, how do we, what does this mean? It takes us back to verse 1 of chapter 42 of the book of Isaiah, doesn't it? It means that the Lord, Yahweh, is one God represented in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Now, verse 10. Sing to the Lord a new song and His praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you coastlands and all and you inhabitants of them, let the wilderness and its cries lift up their voice. The villages that Kedar inhabits, let the inhabitants of, how do you say, Silah, sing. Uh, let them shout from the top of the mountains and let them give glory to the Lord and declare his praise in the coastlands. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out, yes, shout aloud. He shall prevail against his enemies. Ladies and gentlemen, the first time that Jesus came, he came as a lamb to be slain for the sins of the, of the world. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. But when he comes again, he will come as the lion of the tribe of Judah. At his first coming, he was the self-sacrificing savior. He came in humility. At his second coming, he'll be a conquering king. He'll go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war, and he shall prevail against his enemies, and he will come in power and judgment. And a new work is worthy of a new song. Praise God. Sing to the Lord a new song and praise, sing his praise from the ends of the earth. He says, I look at verse 14. I have held my peace a long time, underline that. I have been still and restrained, and I have restrained myself, underline that. Now I will cry like a woman in labor. I will pant and gasp at once. I will lay waste the mountains and the hills and dry up all their vegetation. I will make rivers, the rivers coastlands, and I will dry up the pools. God is certainly patient, isn't he? He's held his peace a long time. He's been still and restrained himself. Listen, God's spirit will not always strive with man. Won't always plead with man to be reconciled or to repent. Have you ever thought how frightful it is to consider the fact that man through sin, can exhaust the patience of even an infinite God. The day will come when God puts an end to man's rebellion. And when that day comes, he says, listen, I won't waste time. He will end the wicked rebellion of man. He will make right every wrong in the world. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. That day is coming. Notice verse 16. I will bring the blind by 
a way they did not know. I will lead them in paths they have not known. I will make the darkness light before them and crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. They shall be turned back and they shall be greatly ashamed who trust in carved images, who say to the molded images, you are our gods. Hear, you deaf, and look, you blind, that you may see Who is blind but my servant or deaf as my messenger whom I send? Who is blind as he who is perfect and blind as the Lord's servant, seeing many things but you do not observe, opening the ears but does not hear? When our time began, I told you this chapter brings two servants into focus for us. The faithful one, Jesus Christ, and the failed one. Jesus was faithful, Israel would fail. God essentially says to Israel, you've been given so much, but you can't see. The prophets speak to you my word, but you can't hear. God had chosen them, spoken to them, given him his word. They had the priesthood, the rites of worship. Essentially, he says he was perfect. In other words, the idea is you had it all, you see. But they were blind to the things of God, deaf to the voice of God. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as to where they would fail in God's plan for them, Jesus would fulfill God's plans for him. Now look at verse 21. The Lord is well pleased for his righteousness' sake, He will exalt the law or his word and make it honorable. But this is a people robbed and plundered. All of them are snared in holes and they are hidden in prison houses. They are for prey and no one delivers for plunder and no one says restore. Who among you will give ear to this? Who will listen and hear for the time to come? Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robbers? Was it not the Lord? He against whom we have sinned. For they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law. Therefore he has poured on him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle. It has set him on fire all around, yet he did not know And it burned him, underline it, yet he did not take it to heart. Listen, don't tune out on this last point here. By the way, we're going to close here. I don't know who's. But God says Israel is a people plundered, robbed. They've become prey, and no one delivers. Why? Why did this happen? Look at verse 24. Who gave Jacob for plunder and Israel to the robbers? Was it not I, the Lord, he against whom we have sinned? For they would not walk in his ways, nor were they obedient to his law or to his word. God says, I've done this. Think about that. I've sought to chasten them. I've let their whole world burned to the ground. Yet he did not know. He did not take it to heart. They didn't get it. They wouldn't respond to it. Now listen to me. 
how easy it is, isn't it, to blame everyone and everything around us for the tough time that we find ourselves in. I just want to encourage you, be careful about excuses. Be leery of blaming others. I want you to think it through. Could it be your fault? Could lifestyles you've chosen, paths that you've purposed, decisions that you've made, find you in the situation that you're in today? Maybe you've been entertaining sin. Maybe you've been allowing for compromise and God has sought to chasten you, but you won't see it. Nor will you take it to heart. Your whole life's burning to the ground around you. And God is like, what do I have to do to provoke you to repentance, to return to me? Guys, God has given us His Word. He's given us His Holy Spirit, His only begotten Son. Why? That we might be saved, that we might be... And I think we all do well with the saved part. Come on, how many of you are happy about the saved part? Right? But it didn't end there. That's not where it ends. Ladies and gentlemen, that's where it begins. Jesus isn't only salvation for us. He's sanctification in and through us. You understand what I'm saying? God wants us to be set apart to Him and to His purposes for our lives. And so we're just going to bow our hearts and we're going to ask the Lord to renew our sight to set our hearts fresh upon Him once again, that He might open our ears, amen, to hear Him. And that we might respond appropriately to Him. You know, everything He said about Israel, essentially you could say about us in that He's given us everything. He's given us His Spirit. He's given us His Word. The precious promises. He's made you kings and priests unto your God. But have we become blind? Have we turned a deaf ear? Father, I pray that you would open our eyes. That we might see you for who you are. We might see Jesus for who he is. Surely, oh God, you are our holy righteous, loving Father who is jealous for our love, our loyalty, our obedience. I pray, God, that we would all receive hearts 
of repentance toward you. God, that you would renew our first love relationship with you today. And that we would leave here more like Jesus. Again, God, eyes to see, ears to hear. And that that would be demonstrated through loving obedience in our lives. That we would be satisfied in humility, in obscurity, knowing, Lord, that through our lives, you would receive glory. That's our desire, Lord, to know you, to bring glory to you. It's so easy to stray from the simplicity of the gospel. Call us back, God. We thank you for your faithfulness to leave the 99. To come seek the one. Lord, we may be here today. But somehow and in some way, our hearts have strayed. We're asking you, Lord, to go seek. To bring back. To renew. Renew. 